they were uh, an international phenomena at the time. And, and somehow or other, they were successful in meeting them and giving them the mantra also. And uh, they made a record. And in it, there was the chanting of the mantra. And then that record, one of the songs became a hit. It, in, in London, it's called Top of the Pops. Where here, I remember as a kid on radio, at least AM radio, they used to have a rating system. If you were number one, that was the most popular song. So it was like that. And then it spread all over Europe, same mantra song. And uh, those who had sung the song in George Harrison's studio had then been invited to go to various places around Europe. And then, of course, the news came back to America, and there was a effect that the mantra had all over the world. And period. He came when he was 70, and he left when he, he was... 82, so he left and he passed in 1977. But during that time, short amount of time, without any uh, uh, financial backing to start with, or no connections in the West, except for one that was quite tenuous. It was just a, an agreement he had made with some people. Uh, he said, I'm coming to America, I need a, I need a sponsor. I mean, somebody had to sign a paper saying, yeah, he could stay at my house. <laughs> they didn't think he was going to come, but he showed up. And the, besides that, he didn't have anything. He didn't have money or credit or anything. And, of course, this was pre-Internet by a long shot. And uh, he was able to establish 108 centers around the world to teach the chanting of the mantra. And he also published 80 books during that time. And he took on 5,000 students who, students in, in a very uh, serious way, are ones who would take vows, like uh, some of us did back in the 70s, to, to, to take the process seriously. So that's uh, quite a feat. In fact, there was uh, an article about late bloomers. I think it was in Newsweek magazine. It talked about people who had become extremely successful later in life. And he was one of the featured people who had uh, been extremely successful. But what was his asset? It was the mantra. So there's a kind of wonderment in the mantra, something amazing that can happen. But let's look just for a minute and talk for a second about saying during the pandemic when everyone was locked down. Did you have that down here? You had it? Yeah? So most people couldn't go out. In fact, there were pictures we were seeing all over the world of empty downtown streets, no cars on the freeways. Everyone was home. And, of course, that didn't stop business from going on, did it? No, not really. What were people doing mostly? Computer, what on computer were they doing? It starts with a Z. Zoom. Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> Most people were on Zoom. 
Most people were having Zoom conferences. And what were they doing on the Zoom conferences? Just talking. That's how things were getting done. And actually, almost everything gets done by talking. For instance, if you want to build a house or a building, you start by thinking about it. It's a subtle idea. An I or I should say, an idea is something subtle. It's a thing, but it's subtle, it's subtle energy. And then from there, you might express it. How might you express an idea? Who said talking? 20 points. You're ahead by 20 points. So, yeah, you might talk about it. You might just say, I'd like to build a house. Everyone say, I'd like to build a house. I'd like to build a house. <laughs> and somebody might say, okay, what kind of house is it going to be? And then you might describe it. And it's like, well, what are the next steps? Well, I, I need a contractor. I also need money. <laughs> I need a place to... All the ingredients for the house already exist. How do I assemble it? By sound. I start talking about it. I said, this goes over here, that goes over there. Sound gets abstracted in writing or in drawing, but it's all coming from sound vibration. And anything we see within the world that is human-made, we can ascertain that it was created through this process. And of course, the ancient Vedas say that the whole universe is like that. Everything that we see, all the forms, all the systems we see in the universe are created from sound. In fact, in the <clears throat> book called the Bible, which actually the Bible means book, so the book called the Bible, there's a statement that in the, in the beginning was the word. And this is called logos. Logos means that there's some order in the universe that you can ascertain. Logos is... Where, where do we find that word? In all the ologies of the world. Can you name an ology? Psychology. Psychology. Name three more. Criminology. Criminology. Astrology. Astrology, Scientology. Okay. Uh, biology. Theology. Ontrology. There are a lot of ologies in the world. Ology means there's something ordered. Ordered means that there's something that you can observe that has a consistent pattern. Otherwise, there's no use in studying anything if everything's random. That's why they're called ologies. You look at it. So the idea is that the world started by sound. And it's a creative force that puts things in order. In fact, there's a science nowadays that you can look at with your own eyes when you see a flat metal plate and then on it are um, placed, on it is placed some fibrous material or sand. You, you, you're familiar with this? Do you remember what it's called? It's called cymatics. Cymatics, thank you. And cymatics and then uh, there's a vibration that will move the plate. Move means it will vibrate it because of the sound that's next to it. And according to the vibration, and some of them have a little dial and you can keep changing the vibration, you'll notice that the particles organize themselves according to the sound vibration in beautiful patterns. This is all of, you could look on YouTube and just watch how this takes place. So something like that, even in modern physics, we have this idea 
that there is this idea that everything has a vibrational force and that things come together and are uh, in certain patterns that we can see with our eyes because they've been organized in that way. How? By sound. So sound has this uh, creative power. It also has the power to reveal. If you think about uh, ways in which we can see into the body, one of them is called ultrasound. For instance, if there's a child in the womb and you want to have a look before the child comes out of the womb, then the ultrasound is applied to the mother's uh, abdomen, and then you can see the form. How is that done? With sound vibration. It gives information. It goes there and it comes back. In a similar way, in the ocean, which is impenetrable by our human vision, can't see much at all in the ocean. It's got a lot of particulate matter in it, and it's also uh, big and deep, which is kind of obvious about an ocean. Uh, you really can't see what's going on down there until you use what? Sorry. Come on, for 20 more points. You should have got 20 points for cymatics. 20? Sonar. Who said sonar? You don't want your points? Okay, 20 points. So, <laughs> so sonar, you can, you can have a clear look of what's, what's below the surface. And the, the ancient Vedas have a detailed description of how mantra reveals our higher self. Now let me say what I mean by higher, because that could just sound cliche. There are higher and lower energies in the universe. This is one of the points made in the Bhagavad Gita and other wisdom literatures. The lower energies are cataloged, in fact, in a very simple list. It's called earth, water, or the list is earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. These are called the uh, gross and subtle material elements. Is there anything besides these in the universe? Just say yes. It'll help me out. Say yes. So what are they? Well, that's mentioned just after that list is given in a verse in the Bhagavad Gita. It's in Sanskrit, and it says, besides these, there's a superior energy. And now here's a big surprise. Who is that superior energy? For... 20 points. It's you. It's you and you and you and you and you. What is it? It's consciousness. According to the wisdom literature, consciousness is categorically different. It's a different energy from the aforementioned energies, which are called the material energies. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. Besides these, there's a superior energy, which is consciousness. If there wasn't a conscious entity observing matter, then matter wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter until we look at it, until we project ourselves into it, in fact. You want me to prove it? Yes. Say yes. <laughs> so, who drove here in a car tonight? Okay, where'd you park? Across the street. Okay, so we're all sitting here peacefully. This is pretty peaceful in here, I have to admit. I'm feeling very calm and happy. So, what is your name? Uh, Sean. Sean, pleasure to meet you. My name is Vaish. 
So Sean, you parked over there, and we hear somebody driving quickly, and then a screeching sound, and then a sound we recognize all too well, which is a car hitting another car. Does anybody know what that sounds like? Yeah, we grew up with it, Americans. So, so then Sean triangulates, and he said, that's about where I parked my car. I mean, he wouldn't do this because he's so peaceful, but let's just use you as an example. And then all of a sudden, Sean stands up, and he runs to the window, and, and he changes because he's thinking he, somebody hit my car. What changes might take place in Sean? Anxiety. Yeah, anxiety. What, what would be the physical? Uh, heartbeat. Heartbeat goes up. Anything else? Yeah, a little perspiration. We have do a doctor in here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the breathing. Breathing goes up, heartbeat goes up, maybe a little perspiration. And Sean looks out the window and sees it's not his car. Did you all drive? Anybody else? Yeah. What's your name? Kevin. And it turns out it was Kevin's car. <laughs> so now how does Sean feel? Feel Sean sorry. feels fine. <laughs> now how does Kevin feel? He feels the same way Sean did a minute ago. Like, oh yeah, I forgot to get insurance last week. So there are lots of cars in the parking lot. In fact, they're, they're all over Austin right now. But we're not that concerned about it because they're not our cars. But a car is a car. It's just glass and metal. But I've, I've put my consciousness into a particular car, so it changes from a car to my car. And now I'm concerned about it. It becomes something uh, important to me. So this is an example of the way we project ourselves into matter. And we actually assume that we are material. For instance, a car is a car, but I may get bumped and then I'll say, you hit me. That's a, sometimes a, a retort, uh, not a retort, but an exclamation that people make when they get bumped in their car, right? You hit me? So the Bhagavad Gita says, your body's a car too. I mean, look at it. It's, it's a car. It's, it's even more sophisticated than that. It's, uh, it's got pulleys and pumps and levers, and uh, it's, it's a very sophisticated system. And like a biomechanical robot. But if, if I bump into something, it's like, oh, I hit my hand. I didn't... Um, Notice that I said it's my hand, but it's just like I have a car and I bump into my uh, hand and I say I hit my hand. So I'm presenting all this just to point out the dichotomy between lower and higher energy. The lower energy is material, and one of the characteristics of matter is that it's enervating. It's always uh, changing and diminishing. It has an... Uh, a point at which it appears, and then it exists for some time, and it begins to dwindle, and then it changes into another form of energy. It's always changing. Whereas we, the conscious being that animates the body, and that is what we're looking at. Like if you look at somebody in the eyes right now, you'll notice somebody's looking back at you. Do you want to try it just for a sec? A little scary which is kind of proof in and of itself that something's going on. <laughs> just look at somebody for a second. And you'll notice 
there's a jolt of energy. You could try this on the freeway. If you're driving by and you look at somebody, you go, what? But who is that reacting? If it was a dead body, no one would react because there's nobody home, so to speak. There's, nothing, there's no conscious being within that, within that body. So this is an important demarcation. What's the difference between a dead body and a living body? There's a superior force within the body. It's called, the, in Sanskrit, the Atma, or the Self, a unit of consciousness, like a spark from the fire of original consciousness, which is unlimited, and the individual spark within each one of us, or which is each one of us, animates this body, and it's able to perceive the world. And this is the difference between matter and spirit. At least, this is a very preliminary explanation of the difference between matter and spirit. So, how does one see the difference between the body and the self? Because it, it does seem like we are our body, doesn't it? Kind of? Yes. Like, you say, like, who are you? And I'll go, like, I'm an American. Or, like, I'm a man. Or, I'm a cat. Or, I'm a dog. You ask a cat, who are you? And it goes, I'm a cat. What do you think? I'm walking here. So, uh, everyone thinks that I'm my body. And it's really hard to realize the consciousness. At least it seems hard to realize the consciousness unless we have a tool. Now, why would somebody want to discover their consciousness? In the Bhagavad Gita, there's a discussion between student Arjuna and the teacher Krishna. In fact, it takes place on a battlefield. It's a very intense situation. And the, te the, the student asks the teacher, Arjuna asks Krishna, um, what's a symptom of somebody who's enlightened, who's reached this position of self-realization? And he gives a few symptoms. One of them, he says, Prajahati adhakama sarvan partamanogatan atman yevatmana tushta stita pragnas tadochite. So this means, Prajahati means that the person is able to not react to the mind. The mind says this verse is like a little factory. You can imagine little gears moving and there's a conveyor belt coming out with a product just constantly coming out. So the mind's constantly producing thoughts and desires that are coming through our mental system. If you've ever tried to concentrate for any amount of time, you might notice there's a little voice in there that goes, Hey, get up, you gotta go. You didn't answer those six emails yet, right? <laughs> you didn't pay your taxes either. So there's constantly something going on in our minds. If you've tried to meditate before and just calmly sit there, something's like, stand back up again, let's go, we gotta move. So this um, first symptom is that someone's able to disassociate him or herself from that constant production of thoughts, ideas, desires that come from the factory of the mind. And then, uh, then it says, or Krishna says in his teaching, Atman yevatmana tushta. Everyone say tushta. Tushta means satisfaction. Satisfaction, there's this sense enough. I don't need anything right now. I'm, I'm perfectly happy right, right now, right where I am. That's pretty rare. Is, we're, we're always being... Um, uh, advised, you know, you need something else to be happy. 
but there's a sense like I don't have to go anywhere, I don't have to be anything else because I already am something. That's so amazing that I can just appreciate it. What it means is when you're able to see yourself as being separate from the material body and even the mind, then it's a, 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 an experience which is completely fulfilling. It's tushta. You feel satisfied in and of yourself. That's a major achievement because although there's a lot of advertisements about how we might become satisfied, there's not a lot of evidence of people actually being satisfied. Or we might examine our own life and say, when during the day am I actually completely satisfied? Have you ever tried that? Am I satisfied right now? <laughs> it's like, I will be in a minute <laughs> after I get something else. Uh, make another arrangement. As soon as I pay off my student loan, that'll never happen. Um, you know, then I'll be happy. Whatever it is, there's always something going uh, in my mind that I need something else. But tushta means I feel satisfaction. So the the power of the practice of what is called mantra meditation employs a sound vibration, which is non-material. And just as the sonar reveals what's in the ocean, and just as ultrasound reveals what's in the body, so the mantra reveals our higher self. And the very glimpse of one's higher self, and which also includes a glimpse of the source of ourself, this gives a, a, a sense which is uh, also described in the Bhagavad Gita, it's describing how you feel when you come into that state of resonance with the mantra and in your higher self and the source of yourself is revealed. And it's uh, described in a verse later on from the one I just uh, quoted. And it says, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma Nashochati Nakankshati Samak Sarveshu Bhuteshu so what the verse says is that there are a few benefits you get. One is that you feel happy. Prasanatma. Everyone try saying that. Prasanatma means a happy soul. There's another place in the Bhagavad Gita that's called Suki Nara. Nara means a human and Suki means happy. Say Suki Nara. I just was in Japan recently and I'm learning Japanese. It sounds Japanese to me. Suki Nara. So you can be a happy human or prasanatma. Have you ever been happy for no reason? Like you didn't just win something or you find out that you got an A on your exam, but you just felt happy? Well, that's how one feels when one sees oneself as a soul and that there's a, so a source that's maintaining me. And then, nashochati uh, nakanshati means there's, there's, you don't want anything. Enough. I have everything I need right now. I don't need anything more. And I'm also not um, in a state of lamentation for what I missed out on before. Everything's complete right in this moment. And then finally, samak sarveshabhuteshu, a person in this spiritual consciousness, which can be attained by the resonance of the mantra with one's higher self and which reveals the source of oneself. And that is that one has a even disposition towards uh, others in the world. Even disposition means we don't see others according to their external appearance. Uh, 
but we see them as, uh, okay, here's the external feature, but actually inside is the spiritual being. And a person develops this kind of universal vision, and not just for humans, but for all life. One looks at animals, plants, anything that's alive, and sees, oh, there's the living force within, and resonates with that living force because the, the person who's practicing this sees that everything comes from a common source. So this, this sense of uh, overwhelming sense of, of uh, unitedness of all living things, not just all living things, even all things, that the, because everything emanates from the same original source. So these experiences are documented over and over again as uh, people practice mantra meditation and they're preliminary because there are more and more levels of revelation that are written about in books like the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the quintessential book on the practice of bhakti yoga, the, the school that I come from. And there are 18,000 verses, poetical verses, describing the various ways in which uh, people who are practicing bhakti yoga uh, realize beyond the preliminary, uh, the depth spiritual experience. So before we go into some practical tips, and we, if we like, because nobody can stop us probably here, it's Austin, it's a, it's a free country, we can uh, practice mantra meditation together a little bit, but I'd like to just get a sense of resonance from all of you of what you heard so far that's stuck in your, in your mind. For instance, if you were to walk out right now, please don't, and somebody asked you, uh, what, what was that guy talking about in there? Here's the one thing you'd say that you picked up so far. While you're thinking about it, I'm going to have a drink of water. I would say matter is matter. That really stuck out to me. That matter doesn't matter unless you're observing it? Yeah. Do you know why it stuck out to you? Can you say more? Um, just... kind of preoccupy our minds with so much materialism and life is very simple beyond that we just use our consciousness and awareness nice I like the way yeah yeah you describe how there's there's so many distractions we get preoccupied with matter and then we forget about ourselves right mm -hmm. there's this um, <clears throat> analogy of the way we see the world and that it's uh, analogous with uh, watching a movie. If you've ever been to a movie theater, they still have them. <laughs> you walk in and sit down, lights go out, and then the light comes onto the screen, and there's perhaps a narrative, there's music, there's a soundtrack, and you start listening and, the, and watching. And have you ever been caught up in a movie? Yes. Do you ever cry? Yes. Which one? Avatar 2. Avatar 2? Well, this is dating myself, but you probably never heard of this movie. It's called Born Free. It was about... Oh, yeah. yeah? Okay, did you cry? <laughs> I was a kid and I cried. I'm like, well... And, you know, then, have you ever been to a scary movie? Were you scared? Yeah. Yeah. So, one of the ways sometimes people would get relief from that is they turn around and look up at the light coming out of the 
move the projector and say it's like it's just light coming out on a screen. It's not really happening, right? So there's there's a way in which I become entranced by my life situation and watching all these things happening. And I'm, as you were saying, I'm preoccupied by that. And I forget actually I'm the observer. And I forget also that the, the value of who I am and the difference between matter and spirit. I become so absorbed in matter, I think I am matter. I think I am my life situation. I forget that I'm the observer of my life situation. Thank you. What else did you hear so far that stuck in your mind? That the mantra reveals the higher self. Yeah. The mantra reveals the higher self, just as sonar reveals what's in the ocean, ultrasound reveals what's in the body. So the mantra can reveal our higher self. And we can, uh, we are our higher self. In fact, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, I thought of this word because when I came into the room and on the way here in the car, they told me the, the title today. Actually, they told me earlier, I just forgot in the email they sent me. It's called The Wonder of Mantra. Uh, but this word, Aschayavat, means wonderment. That the who we are is wondrous. It's the most amazing show anywhere. If you want to find the most interesting thing in the whole universe, it's yourself. It's just I never look at myself. I'm always looking elsewhere, trying to find something. In fact, there's a story about a deer. Have you ever heard of, of musk? Who's heard of musk? What is it? It's a scent in the deer. It's a scent, and it comes from a deer. So there's a gland in the male deer, and it uh, exudes this very, well, you could say almost intoxicating scent, musk. It's one of the elements that people put in colognes, well, probably not cheap cologne, but perfumes and all kinds of things like that. And it's, it's a very sought-after kind of scent. So the musk deer, the legend of the musk deer, I should say, is that the musk deer is looking everywhere to see where the scent is coming from. <laughs> and looking in caves, is it in the river, is it in the forest, not realizing all the time that it's emanating from his own navel. And in a similar way, we have everything that we need within us. But I'm looking outside and thinking I need something more, I'm searching for it, but I know that what I am is already amazing and it can be revealed by a spiritual practice. Thank you. Unamas, por favor. You mentioned something about how there are separate elements that make up the universe and how we ourselves, our souls, are another element. And I think that was kind of proven a little bit when the little activity where we made eye contact with people because you can really like feel like the, the energy and light that comes out of a person. Yeah, yeah. There's somebody there looking out, and what is it? I mean, what's in a glance anyway? It's not electricity. It's not a beam of light exactly. It's a beam of consciousness. And what is consciousness? It's the greatest show on earth. It's the only thing that really matters. Everything, like we said before, and you resonated with matter doesn't matter unless consciousness is there. It's what illuminates you or your body, that is. It's what illuminates the universe and makes it go. Besides that, matter is just dead. But it's consciousness that is 
ever fascinating. Thank you. One more. Vibrations, uh, that, that if you say anything, uh, like the, I like the analogy of Zoom. Uh, just, right, it's creative, right? Yeah, the sound creates the world. Uh, the logos, everything's organized by sound, just as when you make that vibration on the plate, things take a certain shape. We're speaking mantras all the time. We say we're using syntax and grammar. And by our syntax and grammar, by the vibration that comes out of our mouth, the energy around us starts to take different shapes and patterns. If you have very low vibration, you can look in your environment and you'll see it's very disorganized. If you, or it could be even degrading us. If you look in a place where there's a very high vibration, you'll start to see the manifestation of that sound vibration. And by the same token, we can reorganize our lives and, uh, and we can upgrade our lives by the process of mantra. One of the ways that you can do that, that we can do that, is to notice the soundtrack of our life. Again, back to movies. Movies have soundtracks, true or false. What about silent movies? Do silent movies have a soundtrack, true or false? <laughs> what am I... That was not a good... Uh, uh, survey question. Let me try again. Do uh, <laughs> silent movies don't have a soundtrack? True or false? Hey, there's some film students in here, right? Do you study film? Well, you're right. I, I was doing some research for a book I'm writing, and the the ancient movies, ancient movies, the old old movies that were before there was a, a talking. In fact, in India, they used to call, maybe it's a British thing, they used to call movies after they were silent, so-called silent, they were called talkies. Because <laughs> I used to live a place in South India, and how I'd get home and say, it's next to Navran Takis. That was the movie theater. So, um, they used to play, there was a live musician there that would play along with the film. And when it was dramatic, in a sense, like just say there was a heroic return, a hero's journey and the hero's coming home. Do, 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 you know, somebody's playing on the organ or the piano. Without that, you have silence. It's, it's very difficult to uh, evoke the emotion that's there. Now, what about modern movies? Do they have a particular soundtrack? How do you know what year it is or about what, what era it is in a movie, like when it first comes on? One of the major ways is the soundtrack, right? It's like if there's a song from maybe the 60s. Anybody here know any songs from the 60s? Nobody? Come on. This is Austin. What are you talking about? We'll sing it. Okay. What? <laughs> I want to hold your hand. That's 1965, right? Yeah, like 1965. I want to hold your hand. If that comes on... You know, you're, you're likely, you know, it, it's plausible that the thing is going to be about the mid-60s, right? So the sound, the soundtrack of the movie, it brings all the emotions, all the feelings. It gives you a context. What is it? And we all have a soundtrack in our lives. 
Here's homework. You want some homework? Say yes. Work with me, people. So, soundtrack, make a little note of what the soundtrack in your life is. Just go start from morning till evening and one day write down what are the kinds of sounds that I'm either inviting into my environment that I'm deliberately putting on so I can hear them or, or that I'm exposed to in, every day. How many different kinds of sound vibration do you think you'd be hearing? Organized sound vibration like music and things like that in a given day. Hundreds. Hundreds, okay. So we, we are all living in a, basically a closed environment and we, we have, we're either subjected to or we're engineering our lives by the sound that we put into it. So one of the ways that the ancient Vedic literature say that you can upgrade your consciousness and upgrade your life and your environment is just by changing the sound. So one of the most practical ways to do that is by making your own sound. And this is called mantra. Anybody know which language that word comes from? Yes. Absolutely. 40 points now you're at. So anybody know how the word breaks down? It's got, as a clue, it's got two parts to it. Man and tra. Who said mind? Okay. Well, you know Sanskrit anyway, right? <laughs> okay, so man means mind. And tra comes from the word triate, which means to deliver, like to uplift. So when you put man and tra, is everyone okay with the air? Okay, I'm getting used to it. I just came from San Francisco. We're freezing up there. It's been a really cold summer. So mantra means the sound vibration that lifts you above the mind. Just like on a cloudy day. I heard you had a few of those here in Austin. If you were to rise above the clouds, you'd notice that it's sunny. So same way, rising above the maelstrom, just like a whirlpool of thoughts in the mind, that factory that's constantly bringing out new products, saying, take this, take that, buy this, buy that. And chasing, the mantra lifts us above that it reveals our higher self and the source of our self, and then there's this sense of light that comes from the power of the mantra, which lifts us above the darkness of the, of the world. So how to do mantra? There are many different kinds of mantras. There's an omnibus mantra that's been passed down over millennia. And how do we know this? Uh, one of the ancient literatures, have you ever heard of the Upanishads? Upanishads, an ancient writing which is specifically meant for those who are interested in self-realization. In fact, the very word Upanishad, have you ever heard the word Upanishad? It's an interesting meaning. It means to sit up close. That's why I told you all to sit up close. Upanishad. Upanishad means you sit up close because you want to focus in on your higher purpose in life. So it's kind of like, you know, when somebody's telling you something, you really want to hear it, you kind of like lean into it. That's the Upanishad. That's the meaning. And so in these Upanishads, some of them are said to be millions of years old and passed down through uh, lines of teachers that come down to the present age. 
there's a mention of a very particular mantra, which is said to help us overcome all the obstacles that we face in life, to bring us to an awareness of our higher self and the source of our self, and also bring us into what is called the ocean of nectar. In fact, there's a, a verse from the Upanishad that said, you were born of nectar, you were born from nectar, you are nectar, but why am I experiencing the bitterness of this world? It's because I've forgotten my origin. So it brings us into what's called amrit, or nectar, a feeling of complete fulfillment and happiness. These are the, the, the uh, benefits advertised in these ancient literatures. Does it sound worth trying? Yes. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> I don't want you that. Okay. So <clears throat> there, there are two forms. Actually, there are more than two forms. But there are two main ways to be in the mantra to practice mantra meditation. One of them is by doing a personal practice called swadhyaya. You, you take some time, as in meditation, to observe yourself and to listen to the mantra. And let the mantra penetrate your ears. Your main objective in this kind of meditation is to fix your mind on the sound while you use your tongue to repeat the mantra and listen and keep bringing your mind back to the sound of the mantra. And that's all you have to do. Now, it sounds simple, but the mind is wily and it tends to run off. And your main job is to not become upset by that but just very gently come back into the presence of the mantra. Be there for the mantra, be in the mantra, be conscious of it, and be aware of it. Does that sound reasonable? It's a kind of meditation. It's called mantra meditation. You want to try it? Okay. So look on there for Tampura C. T-A-N-P-U-R-A. See what we're doing right now? We're creating a soundscape. And if you... If you attend to the sound in your life and you try to engineer it in a particular way, then you'll notice that everything changes from the inside out because the sound vibration is creative and it's inspiring. In fact, while they're looking for the Bluetooth, I'm going to tell you about an experiment I do. Well, I'm in the Bay Area, whenever I'm in the Bay Area, at least before COVID, uh, I would go weekly to Google, Intel, and Hey, what do you think? Whenever you're ready. No, keep it going. You like it? So I go to some of the corporates, and then I bring with me a little science experiment. And it's two, um, I forget what, I, what they're called. Oh, tuning forks, thank you. Thank me. I just can't remember. <laughs> They're two tuning forks, and they're just they're they're set into uh, balsa wood boxes. They're separate units, so I'll put them in the front of the room, and then it the set comes with a rubber mallet, and so I'll whack one of the tuning forks and let it vibrate. You can hear it in the room. And then I'll grab it. And what happens then? You'd think it would stop, right? Well, it stops, but the other one doesn't. The other one picks up the same vibration. So the other tuning fork 
there's a principle in science called excitation, which means a body with higher energy can impose itself or avail itself to a body of lower energy and uplift it. And so people are kind of amazed, even though it's something they've seen in science class perhaps, but just to see it again and to see how the physical elements work with sound. As you whack one mallet, you grab onto it, and the other one keeps the vibration going. It picked it up from the first one. It resonates. And so when we learn to be resonant with the transcendental sound, then our life starts to transform from the inside out. We may make arrangements, but unless our inside is resonant with a higher vibration, we can't maintain it. We have to develop it internally, and this is how to do it through the mantra. So, this is a nice drone for us, and I'm going to um, show you a technique called japa. Everyone say japa. japa. Japa is chanting the mantra to yourself and listening to yourself. And the good news is, when you're born, you get two free ears and a tongue thrown in for free. Free charge. Check and see if you still have and now, don't look in the mirror and start staring at your ear because you'll freak out. You say, what is that anyway? It's got little convolutions in it. It's, it's like a little satellite disc. It's meant to pick up sound. If you wear a cap and you cut off the top parts of your ear with the, the muffle of the hat, you can't hear it in the same crisp way. It's engineered perfectly for you. And the tongue, don't get me started, the tongue, if you just put, a, put out your tongue for a second, not at somebody else, but just for yourself to notice, just for a second. Whatever way your tongue's pointing, that's the way you're going in your life. According to the ancient Vedas, there's a verse that says, Atashri Krishna Madi Nabave Seva That you can judge how you're going to go in your life by your tongue. What are you saying? That's what you're creating in your life. So when you use your tongue, says the verse for mantra, that's how you begin yoga. Yoga means a state of union with the divine. So you can use your tongue and your two ears, thrown in for free. And uh, I work with a lot of deaf people in London. There's a huge uh, group of meditators there. And they do the mantra meditation also because they can feel the vibration. It goes right to the soul. And so uh, don't worry even if you can't hear. The vibration is very powerful and penetrating. So one of the tricks of this meditation is you don't have to sit up completely straight, but if you sit up a little straighter than you were a second ago, your mind naturally comes to attention. It's kind of like when you go to an interview. Anybody ever been to an interview? Did you sit like this? It's like, <laughs> no, you kind of like sit up straight because then people say, oh, this person's serious. Even they don't seem to know anything, I think I'll hire them because they sat up straight. So in a similar way, when you meditate, if you sit up a little straighter than you were a second ago, then it brings the energies up to focus in your mind. So there's three words in this mantra. The first is Hare. Everyone say Hare. Hare. 
Hare means the universal mother, that's the source of all uh, nurture in the world that comes from the word hara. And in the vocative form, which means, vocative means that you're crying out. You're like calling out to your mother. Have you ever called out to your mother? If not, call her tonight. Um, but when you're a baby, you probably did it all the time. It's like, mama, you know. And so there's, when we come to this point of feeling like I'm helpless, what do I do? Call out to your mother. So this is Mother Hara. You say, Hare. Everyone say, Hare. Hare. So if you call out this divine name of the original source of all mothers, Hare, then you'll feel the satisfaction of calling out. And then say, Krishna. Krishna. So now, the, what's behind this is that you may notice yourself or others, we're all looking for an object to fix our gaze upon something that will be completely satisfying. I look at uh, a billboard that says, pour out a bottle of happiness. What is that? Corona. It's Coca-Cola. Okay. <laughs> Corona could work either. But it doesn't really bring happiness. It, it's just, actually, it's, it's counterfeit, but that means they're the real thing somewhere else. I don't want to insult my friends at Coke, the Coca-Cola bottling factories, but... Coke is not the real thing, nor does it bring happiness. But there's the idea that it will. So what is that we're searching for? We're looking for the place of all aesthetic beauty and love that I can completely absorb in. What's the source of it all? Where's the source of all aesthetic beauty and love? That's what the word Krishna means. It means all attractive. Just like the word charisma. Say charisma. charisma. Now say Krishna. Charisma. Hari Charisma. <laughs> charisma means that somebody has some attractive feature, like, like I can't take my eyes off them or her. You know, they come in the room and everyone's like, who is that? You know, that's charisma. All charisma comes from Krishna. And it's, it's the original attractive source. Krishna is love personified and beauty personified. And now you're ready for the third word? It's a little too heavy, I shouldn't tell you. In fact, we should probably end here. No. Should I say it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, only two people said yes, so everyone else cover your ears. It's too heavy. Say Rama. Rama. Rama means the wellspring of all happiness. Everyone's looking for happiness and maybe I get a little drop. It's kind of like you're in the desert and you're so thirsty and you're walking and walking, and it's like, I'm going to drop if I don't get a glass of water. And somebody comes up and says, I have water, I'll give you. So, okay, please. And they bring out an eyedropper, and they put one drop in the palm of your hand. It's like, that's it, that's all you get. Try to enjoy it. Okay, you can't argue it's not water. But it's not enough. So the happiness in this world comes in dribs and drabs, little tiny eyedroppers full. Rama means you get the whole ocean. It comes to you from the mantra and the name Rama. And one other thing, these are names. And we say avatar. Avatar means one who crosses down from a higher level to a lower level to help somebody. That's the original meaning of avatar. And the name itself is an avatar. It takes the shape of the... It's of the it is the shape of the original 
love personified are described, the original mother of everything, the reservoir of pleasure, they all have shapes and forms and qualities, and they're all embodied within the mantra. So in combination, this is called Paramakshorakrite, the supreme combination of syllables. This mantra meditation is something that you can practice anywhere. You find a park bench nice in the morning when the sun's coming up, or anytime, where you can have some non-distracted time. And you'll notice that when you practice this mantra, when you come into the state of absorption, which means you're nowhere else, you're just in the sound vibration, then it's like the oceans that gives up jewels and other types of things. You go there and you see it's just one big thing, but actually within it, there are unlimited riches. So within the mantra too, if we're just there for the mantra and we listen and be very present, present for the mantra, we'll notice the, the gifts we walk away with too. Like we'll notice through in the daytime when we're moving about the world, interacting with people that we are a little more patient than we were before perhaps. Someone snaps at us and then we feel this internal fortitude. And where does it come from? Strength of the mantra. There are ways in which we'll see the world in a slightly different way. We'll start to see or at least notice it. Like who notices the sunrise? Most people sleep through it. Most people, if they see it, are driving to work and they don't even think, what is this? <laughs> I mean, what is it? It's the most amazing thing that's happening. Everything that's around us is amazing and we start to see the world as amazing because of the power of the mantra. So you can try that as a personal practice. And there's one other, um, not one other, but there are many other. Were you going to ask a question? Oh, you just said. So this is one method of meditating on the mantra. And another is called Sam Kirtan. So it's like there's a, a person, his name's Sam. His last name's Kirtan. So say Sam Kirtan. And if anybody asks your name, you don't want to tell them who you really are, just say, I'm Sam Kirtan. So in this Sam Kirtan, there's a call and response. Someone will lead the chant and sing the, the mantra itself, and everyone else listens, and then you sing it back as a chorus. Would you like to try that? Yes. There's a shortcut to the Maha Mantra that we just sang. It was called the Maha Mantra. Everyone say Maha, Maha. Mantra. Mantra. So you can say Hari, Hari. Bol. B-O-L means chant, and Hari means to chant Hare Krishna. So say Hari Bol. And then well, up in the Himalayas, the yogis in caves, when they come out and they see other yogis who have been meditating, they're out collecting fruits and roots, they see them on high peaks in the Himalayas, they put their arms up in the air like this to greet one another, try it. And they say, Hari Bol. So you can do that anywhere. Once, first time I ever went to Hong Kong, I was, I was a monk on my way to India. They, Got some cheap ticket stuffed in Hong Kong. Flight was delayed by about 16 hours. I got in late at night. All I had was an address in a magazine. And I went up to, it was a, a high-rise district. And there were so many different buttons to push and it was 1.30 in the morning. I wasn't sure which apartment it was. It was all in Cantonese. And then I pushed a few buttons and each one, they came on and said something. Lehao, and I said, Hari Bol, nothing. Next one, Leho, nothing. 
and finally said, Hari Bol, and the door opened. I went in. It was the Hare Krishna Ashram. So it's, it's also a password. So if you ever come, you're hungry, you want to go to the Hare Krishnas, you just go, Hari Bol, come on in and eat. <laughs> Sit down, you have a place to stay. <laughs> so anyway, we have 30 seconds. But I just want to express my gratitude for everybody for coming. Some, you're an amazing audience and great singers too. It's one of the best kirtans I've been in. And uh, I'm just so happy to be here with you. And please try this chanting. You can do the two kinds called Japa. And the second one's called? If you get pulled over, they say, what's your name? You say, my name is Sam Kirtan. That's the second kind. So you can do that. Get your friends, bring them over, and just get in a little circle. Get a tambourine, cowbell. And if, you, if you're good at playing guitar or anything like that, just get a few chords going and sing this Hare Krishna mantra. We just did it for a few minutes, but you can do it for hours. You can do it for 24 hours and get absorbed. And you'll see that your life will change by the power of the sound vibration, the wonder of the mantra. Thank you very much, everybody. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you.